Coming up on today's edition of Locked On Cougars, we do a recruiting focus with John Garcia, of course, the Locked On podcast recruiting insider. What to make of the commitment of Jackson Bowers as well as Simone Davis for the BYU football program. We're also going to talk a little bit about what's going on with Stanford coming into Utah once again and still in another prospect from the state of Utah. All that and more on today's edition of Locked On Cougars. You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? I'm Jay Catch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. Thank you for making us your first listen every day. Today's show, our title sponsors, our friends over at LinkedIn. They are bringing you John Garcia's interview today as well. They are the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs is helping you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash Locked On College. Terms and conditions apply. As I mentioned, welcoming in John Garcia Jr. from Sports Illustrated, as well as our Locked On Network recruiting insider. John, thank you for taking the time. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Jake. Um, not as well as BYU fans. I mean, <laughs> that, that Jackson Bowers commitment should be as as big as, as we see this cycle relative to a school uh, fending off national competition. So, I mean, I think it's it's a good time to be a BYU fan. Obviously, you know, conference realignment on the horizon, recruiting's rolling and starting to pick up some momentum too. So it's, it's going to be on here talking Cougars for sure. Let's start there with Jackson Bowers. He's a four-star prospect. Uh, BYU is in the mix. We'll talk about Walker Lions here in a minute. There was two top tight ends they were in the mix for in this recruiting cycle. And there'll probably inevitably be others that they'll be in the mix for. C.J. Jacobson comes to mind as well. But when it comes to Bowers' commitment, a four-star prospect from Mountain View High School down there in Arizona, how big do you think this commitment is for BYU just in terms of the overall, I guess, recruiting landscape for the Cougars? I think it's huge. I mean, like you said, it's 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 national. It is national news when Jackson Bowers makes his commitment anywhere, <laughs> especially if it's BYU, and, and that's certainly where the momentum was towards the tail end of, of this recruitment. There was a lot of keeping things close to the vest with Jackson, a kid I've been in communication with for the better part of a year. And he had me guessing for, for a long part of this recruitment. And I think, you know, he would tell you he didn't know for, for a large portion. This wasn't, you know, hey, this is my childhood dream school. I'm going here, have a good day. This was something that really had to be vetted. And I think that the staff and the field, the uniqueness of BYU, which doesn't get talked about enough in recruiting can certainly resonate. And, and look, let's be honest. If it's, if it's going to break even at a certain position, mm-hmm. my brain being an older person goes to quarterback, but tight end should be on that short list uh, thereafter. And, and I think this is kind of a resurgence at the position for the Cougars and Bowers is, is that national headlining recruit uh, to fit right in. It's the right time for it. It's a good tight end class. And this is one of the top, 10 or so tight ends in the country. And I think that that says a lot. That position is coming with more gravitas and more value in, in football in general. It's, it's a trendy, hey, we need to get one of these hybrid freaky athletes type of positions. And Bowers brings this high floor 
and balance to go along with it, right? He's, he works in line, he works outside, he come in motion, he can do damage down the field or, or short, and then after the catch, and he's a great blocker. So he brings this polish and high floor to the position that should, should create some security for BYU fans. But in terms of that national footprint, you, you beat Pac-12 schools for a kid in Pac-12 country. That's always a big box to check if, if you're BYU. Uh, and then you beat everyone else. You wouldn't beat SEC schools. ACC programs were in on Jackson early. I don't know his offer sheet number, but it was several dozen scholarship offers in for him. So I think – any again, anywhere he would have went would have been national news, and it, it sprinkles a little bit heavier when it's BYU, especially relative to kind of how late that momentum you know arrived for the Cougars. So it, it shows good closing ability uh, for the program, and and still a uniqueness to certain positions and certain types of recruits that I think is still very important to talk about in recruiting in this age of. NIL and all this other stuff, it's still important to talk about just kind of that classic feel for a program and BYU still one of those most unique opportunities in the country. He's a guy, and I was reading an article on him. He, he described his own game as being a, a little bit of psycho, I think is the term he used in, in his game, <laughs> just the way he kind of plays it. And you mentioned the fact he's, he's an inline tight end. He also can split out and kind of play that wide tight end position as well. Where do you think he'll be most effective at the next level? Is it more of an inline guy, or do you think he'll be have the capability of doing both at the next level? I think he certainly has the capability to do both, Jake, but I think just the value of that threat in the middle of your offense says so much. BYU has bought into a lot of these spread concepts mm-hmm. that, that have taken over college and NFL football. And you see a whole lot of lateral and wide ability with these offenses, right? Bubble screens, jet sweeps, the RPO quarterback keeps a lot of left and right stuff. So when you can play vertically and, and threaten the middle, which is obviously the shortest throw you can make, mm-hmm. it just creates a whole different dynamic uh, to prepare for as a defensive staff. So I think that is probably where he'll, he'll, make his proverbial money. And then we know BYU always wants to run the ball too. So I do think his prowess as a blocker is something you don't want to um, underutilize. Now, again, he's got the ability at, at 230 to move around, single up on a linebacker and, and, and put him in a blender. He could still do those things. But I think more times than not, you're probably going to bulk him up a little bit and, and line him up uh, outside of the tackle to, to create either an extra blocker at, at the end of the line of scrimmage or a true immediate threat in the passing game, which is, again, it's, it's so valuable, even in the RPO concept, to have that first, that primary read visible and so close, it really does change the flexibility of your offense. I think that's where we'll see him most. He's a guy that uh, I think he screams kind of more of the classic tight end that BYU's had in their history. because they've, they've got a pretty rich history. You mentioned the quarterback thing for BYU over the years, but tight ends have also had a really good run, and they got two of them this year in Dallin Holker as well as Isaac Rex, who appear to kind of be the one-two tandem. Do you think that BYU at some point will have, I guess the question is, too many tight ends in a way and not be able to deploy them effectively enough? I know that's maybe more of an on-the-field thing that maybe is in your expertise, but do you think there's there's a possibility of that happening? I mean, it's always it's a good problem to have if yeah. it does happen, right? It means that you've loaded up so much <laughs> that there's just not enough seats at the table, uh, and that happens, right? I mean, my gosh, look at the University of Georgia right now. They yeah. have 100 tight ends. They're all very good. They're all Sunday guys, uh-huh. so nobody knows how those dynamics are going to work, but nobody's utilizing that as a weakness when you talk about the, the Bulldogs either. So I do think with, with the Cougars, 
if you assimilate towards that, it's, it's a good problem to have. Uh, I do think these offenses have gotten more creative. Um, nobody's recruiting fullbacks, you know, RIP to that position. So, you know, if you've got an H back type, you know, you can utilize a tight end there. You could certainly split out a tight end. Like we talked about with Jackson, you can um, keep him on the end of the line of scrimmage. You can use him as a wing, as a traditional H back in the slot. I mean, you can really, uh, maximize at least two, maybe three tight ends. If you really feel good about your group on Saturdays uh, enough to keep a defense guessing. Cause remember, I think a lot of defensive decisions have to do with personnel. Yeah. So the bigger the personnel, the more run heavy defensively you're going to line up. So if you have two or three tight ends, you're going to have a heavier group of personnel on defense. So if those guys are athletic and can really factor into the passing game, you've built an advantage before you ever, you ever set foot on the field. You know, so I do think there's still a lot to be said for schools that are utilizing two tight ends very well. I think Notre Dame has done it for a long time. You go to the big 10, Iowa, Wisconsin, just staples at that position. Stanford, who we talked about, who we will talk about has done it very, very well over the years too. Uh, so I, I think there's room for it, even in this basketball on grass nature of college football, there's still some room for some athletic, flexible tight ends, especially if they complement each other. I think that's the key. You have your, your great blockers, your guys who are a little bit more swift and guys who are kind of jumbo receivers in a tight end's body. You can complement, kind of like basketball, you can complement these skill sets and, and really put more pressure on a defense. So I think it's a good problem to have if BYU gets to that point. Awesome. All right, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, Simon Davis here in just a minute, a kid out of Texas. Uh, we'll get to that. First, though, a word on our friends over at uh, LinkedIn. Of course, right now, everybody seems to be hiring. So if you guys want to get in front of the people you want to hire easier, LinkedIn Jobs is making it easier to grow your team. Create a free job post in just minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond with the world's largest network of over 810 million people. Then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find those people you would like to hire. It is why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. Right now, LinkedIn Jobs is helping you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers are visiting LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Once again, that's linkedinjobs.com slash college to post your job for free. And of course, they're bringing in today's conversation with John Garcia from Swords Illustrated and obviously our Locked On Insider. So now, John, I want to talk to you about, and am I pronouncing, is it Simon or Simone? Do we know how to pronounce his name correctly from Nolan Catholic? <laughs> I go with the latter. I go okay. with Simone. That's what I assumed it of, was. Yeah. That I in the middle always makes me hesitate, but you know, we'll find out soon enough. But yeah. we, can call him, uh, we can call him Davis for sure. Well, yeah. So he, he's from <laughs> uh, the Euless area in Texas. And we all hear about Euless Trinity, which is one of the top prep programs out of that. But he plays for Nolan Catholic there in Fort Worth. A three-star prospect, more of, I guess, a true athlete in a way for B. BYU because he could play either offense or defense. I've had people say that he's probably going to play defensive end at least to start at BYU. What do you know about him? Give BYU fans a little bit of an introduction. Yeah, I think you said it. I mean, he's he's an athlete. You know, he doesn't advertise himself as a tight end, and I get it. He certainly could become one, uh, and I think we talked about uh, complementing these skill sets. I yeah. think he would be your jumbo receiver move guy. He'd be the guy you'd move around H back, put him at fullback. I mean, he's done that already at the high school level in Texas, which, which you mentioned is, is a pretty darn big deal to do that so successfully. But at six five, two twenty five or so 
he's got this defensive end pass rusher kind of frame and, and he does bring this athleticism, this, this twitchiness and quickness to the table that man, it's, it's hard to not envision that as a pass rusher coming off the weak side against a right tackle. So I, I do think that, Ability is something that creates a lot of value in a recruiting class because he's a kid that could go either way with it, you know. And I think he's one that you can sell on. Hey, come up here to, to BYU, and we'll see how fall camp goes or, or spring if he's an early guy. We'll see how it goes at your preferred position, yeah. but we'll also keep an open mind thereafter because I think you could you could build a stand up edge a case for him. I think you could bulk him up. At legitimately six five, he can bulk up and maybe even become a balanced tight end or become a hand in the dirt defensive lineman. I mean, there's a lot of ways this thing could go. But Davis is athletic. I mean, he plays like three or four positions in in high school alone. He's very good in space, both as a receiver and as a blocker. Defensively, he's comfortable in space, tackling, uh, and runs really well as well. So he's kind of this this blank canvas. You know, we we'll do our first ranking at. In August, mm-hmm. and we really value the floor. We, we really play it safe. We want to know who the best football players are today, more so than crafting who will be the best in five years, which is fun, just kind of not for us. But Davis is one that fills the ladder so much better because there's just so much unknown in, in where that positional projection is, is going to shake out. So if we're going to rank him, we'll be a little bit lower on him than others, but you could see on the flip side, why why he's so coveted and why this is an interesting get for, for BYU, who, again, you, you've got to go into pipeline areas and, and talking about a kid from Arizona and a kid from Texas now with Davis. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is money for what BYU has to do to elevate because we know going to the Big 12 and, and playing whatever super conference roulette is, is going to be played down the line, you're going to have to recruit beyond that traditional, let's call it a, Northwest Pac-12 kind of footprint, but this is another step in the right direction in that regard as well, which is something that you know you you should want to see just as much as great players with a lot of stars next to their name. You should want to see that geography holding up its end of the bargain as well. And I think with Davis, it's another strong step. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Davis is a member of the LDS Faith, the the sponsoring institution for BYU. When you guys put those ratings out, a lot of these guys go on missions, and they they disappear for two years. They're off the radar for most people, and BYU fans also are in the same boat, because I've had multiple people tell me, oh, I completely forgot about that kid. I I forgot he could, like, (laughs) sign But it it happens. How do you guys, and this is more, I guess, a philosophical thing, how do you guys go about rating stuff like that? When you know a guy, if he's a member of the LDS Faith, likely to serve one of these two-year missions, how do you guys go about projecting that? Can you, or I know you're more on the base. You guys want more of that floor, but how does that factor in, if at all, to how you guys go about this? Such a great question, Jake. I, I think it gives you more flexibility mm-hmm. uh, to sell either end of the spectrum there. Okay. If, if he's a kid, if it's player X who is a little bit lighter for his position, let's say he's an offensive lineman who's 265, yeah. but you know when he's a freshman, he'll he'll be two years older and probably 30 pounds heavier or whatever it is. You can kind of build in the benefit of the doubt there. Okay. But I do think that's that's important in scouting in general. Um, you know, we 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 love um, Friday night tape and combines and testing and production and stats. All that's very important, but everything's a data point in scouting. Every single thing you can gather. So if you do know 
timeline wise, if you're, if you're questioning the physical maturity or the physical ceiling of a prospect, when, when you know the enrollment's going to be delayed for whatever reason, whether it's going to junior college, a religious mission, whatever it is, um, that helps you shape that a little bit more. So yeah, to me, it gives you more benefit of that with those players because they're older, they're more mature, they're more understanding of, of what's at stake physically when, when they do get to college and they, they catch up in a very short amount of time, you know, that's, that's been, I'm sure you, you see that every, every year (laughs) with BYU. Um, we, we see that elsewhere with, with, uh, players who serve missions from, from any religion. So I do think that's something that should create the benefit of the doubt. And also it's, it's like scouting a winner, right? If you, if you're scouting a quarterback and man, he's won three state championships, you're going to give that kid the benefit of the doubt because you assume there is a maturity there. You assume there is a responsibility, a desire to, to rise up uh, as opposed to just being the best athlete. Um, so I think these kind of situations create a little bit more of that too. You feel, how could it not be responsible, right? How could you not give the benefit of the doubt mentally to a prospect who's willing to sacrifice that much? So I, I view it as an extreme positive and, and honestly a, a little bit of a play in the margins deal, not deal breaker deal sealer uh-huh. for giving a kid the benefit of the doubt. Cause I know I got a little bit more time to be right. <laughs> uh, yeah. We'll give you a little more, a little more rope to figure out if you were, <laughs> your, your evaluation was correct. There's no doubt about that. Okay. Uh, last thing I want to hit with you. We need to talk about Stanford and they've been a thorn in BYU side recruiting wise for a lot of these guys who are going to serve missions, that type of stuff. We'll talk about it here in a moment as we continue on with locked on Cougars. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Of course, uh, talking with John Garcia here, our recruiting insider for the Locked On Network. Also, has a lot of work for Sports Illustrated. Make sure you follow him. You can see his Twitter handle down there, John Garcia underscore junior. And John, a lot of BYU fans are just sick of Stanford and David Shaw coming into Utah. And it's not even going to Utah. A guy like Walker Lyons is literally in Stanford's proverbial be- uh, backyard at Folsom out there right. in California. But both Hunter Clegg as well as Walker Lions are members of the LDS faith. They have both announced in the last week or so that they are going to go to Stanford. And a lot of BYU fans are like, okay, can David Shaw just get out of here? Can we just get Stanford out of the way? <laughs> can you help uh, BYU fans understand what the allure of Stanford is as an institution and a football program to athletes? Well, look, I mean, first of all, um, there's, there's a stability there, right? David Shaw has, has this, um, this appeal to where he's, he's just going to be there until he doesn't want to be right. So I think on the front end, before you get into the obvious academics and all that on the front end, there's this feel of football stability there, even though Stanford on the field has not been maybe what we've expected in the last seven, eight years or, or what have you. So I think that stability does create a, a desire, obviously going to California, all that stuff plays in and, and the academics have to be considered. I mean, that is the one school that whether I'm an sec country, big 12 country, big 10 country, ACC, PAC 12, whatever it is, group of five independents. Let's, let's go with when an offer comes in, there's a sigh of, of, Oh gosh, from coaches because they know one Stanford is very meticulous with, with who they offer because they know the academic rigors just create a longer timeline. Right. I don't think, I think they still don't do early enrollees. It's, it's all, it's all very old school and, and admissions based, which is really hard for them to identify talent with. But when, 
a kid like Walker Lyons checks a lot of these boxes, you're like, oh, goodness, uh, this is something we can move in on early. And when Stanford does it, it typically resonates at a very high level. They've been able to produce uh, on Saturdays. They've produced NFL players uh, relatively routinely, um, you know, compared to their record and, and I guess the perception of what they are on the field. And then going back to Shaw, um, national appeal with him, and he's one with his program that has been accepting of the LDS faith and, and these missions. I mean, Tanner McKee was, was like, I don't know, 10 years ago, one of the top quarterbacks in the country. And, and, you know, we're still learning more about his ability as, as a passer and, and he's going to do so well. So, I mean, I, I just think there's, there's a lot of stars aligning features with Stanford to where, whether you're talking Ohio state, Alabama, uh, Miami, Texas, USC, when that offer comes in, those coaches are like, oh, man, well, who could ever blame a kid for going to Stanford? So that, that's kind of the base level feel from college and high school coaches because it is understandable. But, yeah, it is a bit of a thorn in, in BYU's side and, and some others in particular because there is an acceptance of of delaying the enrollment uh, like like we said there's no early enrollment anyway yeah. so uh stanford's one of those unique opportunities that that has shown that they are they're successful in in that regard and, and yeah it's it's created a bit of momentum in utah you mentioned uh the Hunter the Clegg, Clegg. Uh, yeah. Clegg commitment mm-hmm. uh, which probably hurts utah more than byu i think yeah. but still it is it is a tight end and it is interesting but you know stanford has that benefit of the doubt there and and i think he's he'll be the sixth uh utah native on that roster mm-hmm. i believe so yeah it's it's becoming a thing and i didn't really know that coming into today so i appreciate <laughs> you for the for the news there. But yeah, Stanford is, is just one of those things that makes other coaches shake their head. It, it's like a good and a bad way simultaneously, yeah. but yeah, I can, I can understand BYU fans kind of uh, getting tired of it. Well, and just an anecdote, the radio station I work for, we go to PAC 12 media days every year and this is goes back two or three years. And the question came up with David Shaw, like, why do you like BYU, like BYU type guys, LDS members, that type of stuff. He said, right. I love the fact that they spend two years sacrificing the prime of their athletic life to go out and when they come back they're leaders right off the bat I love that and, he, and then the ads the later part is like oh you can tell the coaches in Utah I'm coming to Utah often and I'm not going to stop and so <laughs> one, of the, one of those unique things about Stanford and David Shaw and just like yeah as you said just him embracing what uh, missionaries LDS members can do for his program right, I got one last question for you here John we've talked about the fact that BYU went to Arizona and got a commitment there they've gone to Texas and got a commitment there how important do you think it will be for BYU to both maintain their traditional recruiting prowess? They've done pretty well in Arizona, the West Coast over the years. But at the same time, as we talked about, moving into Texas and more into Big 12 country, how important will that be for them and their future success as a Big 12 member? Uh, it's critical, Jake. There's really no other way to put it. It has to be a more national footprint. Yeah. The Big 12 should afford you that because it's pretty much coast to coast at this <laughs> yeah. point with the members of the conference. Like we can't do geography anymore when we yeah. talk about these conferences, which hurts my brain a little bit, but I, I kind of get it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they, they have to continue to expand. You know, multiple guys in Texas committed right now, as you mentioned. Um, and like I talked about with, with the Bowers commitment, mm-hmm. the uniqueness of BYU football can stand tall with some of the most unique programs in the country and I think casting a wider net maybe sending out more offers to Texas to Florida to the south even the east coast Mm -hmm. 
you're going to increase the volume of kids who are willing to take visits uh, up up to BYU. And once you do that, I mean, you it just it's one of those programs that you feel like you're in the game. You, you get a kid on campus, yeah. it's memorable, it's beautiful. Everyone understands that, and that will resonate, especially with mom and dad and the coaches and, and the adults that you bring because it is so unique, and they will kind of reiterate that. So I think the the big step for BYU is to go national and, and play the early visit game, get, okay. get some big name kids on campus early in the mix and, 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 and sustain. Right. And we've seen BYU do that to a degree. Jane Rashada was a big target early on and that kept them in the mix. I mean, Cormani McLean, my goodness, he can go anywhere in the country and BYU has been involved with him forever. It seems like, mm-hmm. uh, even though it's faded a little bit recently, it's just those, those kids went early and they checked it out and, and loved it. So BYU had, some staying power with kids that we wouldn't otherwise put in that, I guess, grouping. So I think that formula is something that will be necessary uh, to, and, and need to be consistent with, with the Cougars going forward, because you, you've got this footprint that now extends through the entire country. So, Go recruit like Stanford and Notre Dame and and, and some of the more unique national uh, chains or national groups, I should say, in the country uh, that that are are pushing earlier for more prospects from wherever they're from. Well, John, can't thank you enough. Look forward to doing this again soon. You're the best and appreciate you checking in here on Locked on Cougars. Always a pleasure, Jake. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. There you go. John Garcia, of course, our Locked On Podcast Network insider for all things recruiting as well as working for Sports Illustrated. Make sure you check out all of his work. That'll do it for us. Have a great rest of your day. This has been the Locked On Cougars Podcast. See ya.